guys are fired up today. You must have ate a lot of turkey or something. Yeah. Hallelujah is right. Hey, uh, I'm so uh, aware of how God has blessed us with great talent. And uh, just great to have Norflet and his family and Karen up here worshiping with us. I, I don't know if this will embarrass any of them, but some of the people that carried us today are still in high school. I just, I'm amazed by that. The talent that, you know, from Sam on the guitar and Zoe singing. It's just, uh, God's really blessed us with some incredibly talented and just devoted people. They just love the Lord and they just want to bless you with, with what they're doing. So it's been awesome. Hey, we just finished walking through Colossians together. Uh, hope that series blessed you. It's been great to teach you that. And uh, every fall we do a series, really, I think for the last seven years uh, that we've called Impact. And what we've decided to do is uh, each year kind of take some time to step back and help you to know who our ministry partners are, uh, not just here in Detroit, but around the world. So we talked about SOAR a little bit a few minutes ago. That would be one of our ministry partners. Um, but one of the things that's very obvious to me uh, and, and it really is by no doing of our own. It's just by God's providence. Uh, we have kind of the all-pro lineup of ministry partners. And what I mean by that is we have people who uh, call Grace their sending church, who are really changing the face of missions, who are having a major impact around the world. Uh, you're going to get to meet one of those uh, couples today. Uh, but what we want to do over the next few weeks is just introduce you to just a small handful of the incredible partners that we have. Uh, and then in late December, we're going to ask you uh, to give. And we do this every year. And we've raised anywhere from three hundred dollars to $500,000 in that end of the year uh, giving, which means that you're going to have to prayerfully consider uh, what God is laying on your heart if we're going to get anywhere near that number. Uh, one of the things we've said in the past is that a good kind of benchmark is 1%. If we can get everybody at Grace to give 1% of their annual salary to the impact campaign, that we will raise more than enough uh, to bless all of our partners. So just so you know, this offering that we take uh, late in December, 100% of it goes to support our ministry partners around the world. The goal this year is to raise $300,000 for our partners, and then the money that we raise beyond that, uh, we're going to give directly to SOAR. So if we raise $400,000, $100,000 of that is going to go uh, to continue to expand the tutoring program. Uh, they've gone from one site to seven sites this year. It's just been incredible to see the growth. Uh, so we, we decided to call this year's impact campaign uh, Taking Ground. And the idea there is uh, both spiritually and really territorially, there is ground out there that uh, we have allowed Satan to take hold of. And we're going to go and we're going to take back that ground for the kingdom, whether that's... Yeah, we should clap for that. And that's really what our partners are doing. And some of them are doing it, as you're going to hear today, in some of the absolute hardest-to-reach places uh, in the world. Uh, I want to read a passage for you in 2 Corinthians. So if you want to grab your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, this will be kind of the, the passage that we kind of frame our conversation around this morning. And this isn't a very popular subject, what we're going to talk about today, but it's real. And it's something that we're all dealing with. As I was sitting there worshiping with you, I was looking around the room, and I know so many of your stories. Uh, and I was just very aware of people in the room who have just walked through very traumatic loss of, of uh, loved ones, uh, people who have had um, bad diagnoses, people I just, I just, I know your stories, and I know that uh, many of you are 
or have been walking through some difficult seasons. And so we're going to talk about suffering today and uh, what is God's desired response from us in suffering. And we're going to use to frame that conversation this passage from 2 Corinthians. So the same guy that wrote Colossians wrote 2 Corinthians, and he wrote this particular letter pretty late on into his career, if you will, as an apostle. I'm not sure you would call being an apostle a career, but for lack of a better word, Paul is, has been doing this for a long time. It's, and he's, you know, he's pretty important guy, right? We would say pretty spiritually mature, wouldn't you agree, right? Paul, the guy that wrote a, a good portion of the New Testament for us. So uh, we're talking about a pretty well-established guy in his faith. And here he's writing a letter about how God has had to use this thing called suffering in his life late in his career to, to grow him. And I kind of want you to just to know that. So the people have kind of even come against him as, a, as an apostle and said, hey, we're not sure that you're qualified. And he's actually even using this letter, 2 Corinthians, to kind of let the people know that indeed he is called to be an apostle. And one of the things he uses to qualify his calling is the suffering that he has endured uh, for the sake of the kingdom. So I'm going to read this for you, and I just want you to listen to it. And then I would just encourage you maybe to leave it open in your laps, uh, and then we're going to have a conversation about uh, this. And we're just going to kind of refer back to a few different passages in 2 Corinthians. So 2 Corinthians 1, we're going to start in verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it's for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same suffering that we suffer. Our heart for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our suffering, you will also share in our comfort. We do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of affliction that we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. In other words, he thought he was going to die. Verse 9, indeed, we felt that we had received a sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and, we will uh, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that we will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayer of many. We're going to do things a little bit different. Um, I'm going to invite uh, my friend Scott Sean to come up in just a minute. In just a minute. Not quite yet. He was about to come. Uh, Scott is going to tell you a little bit of his story, uh, but what's fascinating to me, and I just really feel like this is kind of a divine uh, moment, is uh, about 20 years ago, uh, Scott was on staff here. He was uh, in charge of what we used to call Insight, which was our, our weeknight teaching program, so adult teaching ministries, and uh, he was also in charge of the missions program, so I got a chance to do some short-term mission trips with Scott before I was ever on staff here, uh, but I was still in the business world, and Scott invited me to teach with him, and the, the book that he invited me to teach was 2 Corinthians. So this is the very first passage that I ever taught uh, a little over 20 years ago. 
Um, I told him yesterday, I'm not sure if he was prophetic or irresponsible. Um, I'm not sure why I was teaching anybody anything at that stage of my life. Um, But it's just fun for me to come full circle here and be able to spend some time with Scott talking about this passage and just how God has kind of woven our lives together over these last two decades and our family's lives together. Um, But with no further ado, let me just invite Scott up and would you welcome Scott to the stage. Morning. Welcome. Thank you. Great to be here. So before we get into um, kind of the, the passage that we looked at, and, and uh, Scott has written a book, which we're going to make available to you after the service, and we're going to talk about the book uh, quite a bit, which kind of frames our conversation. I think it would be good for people just to hear a little bit about you, about your, your best ministry, maybe your experience sure. at Grace, before Grace. Can you just give us a history for those who don't know you? My wife Beth's over here. And we have three adult sons who are scattered across the U.S. Uh, my wife and I have been ministry our entire adult lives. We started off as church planners in Hong Kong. We're here for 10 years following that. And then we have been with an organization called Barnabas International for 14 years. And in the most simplistic terms, we pastor missionaries around the world. We're all sheep, belongs to the Lord's pasture, true. So are missionaries, and they go to some of the toughest places in the world where there are no churches. So who shepherds them? Who cares for them? Who provides for them? And that's one of the, that's part of our calling that we have in our life. What I'd like for you to know is that wherever you, people find us in the world, they'll say, hey, where are you guys from? And that's a complicated question for us because we're from, we've lived all over the place. But one of the things that we qualify very quickly is that our spiritual home, our spiritual community, is right here in Detroit. Hmm. This church launches us, here for us, and we just we want you to know that. You may not know us personally, but uh, we pray for you, and we consider this a very safe, welcoming community for us. I'm not sure that it's obvious, um, so I just want you to expound on it. Why would somebody in full-time ministry in hmm. Kazakhstan or Iran <laughs> or wherever it is, why would they need pastoring? Yeah, um, life's tough. It's, comp- it's complicated. Yeah, the things happen that we don't see coming. Uh, we've got families, we've got marriages, we've got kids, we've got financial stuff, job stuff. Things are complicated. We all need wisdom and counselors, guidance, direction in our lives. And so the Lord has asked us to give our lives by traveling. We're shepherds, and his sheep are scattered, those of, uh, those of his workers that he's called to difficult places in the world. And so Beth and I endeavor to go to those places, and, and the shepherd is to pursue the sheep, and so we endeavor to do that. We also have a leadership role in our organization. The Lord's given us about 80 staff, just brilliant people. And we get to shepherd those staff and equip and train them. And, and so they, they're scattering through the globe. And, um, and we love that. Some of you know uh, Brother Rob and May who come through here. We, we work with them closely. We've known, we've known them for 30-some years. We knew them before we were even married. And oftentimes I get, a, I get an email from them saying, hey, we've got this couple in Indonesia. They're really struggling with such and such. Do you have anything we can provide for them? And we try to hook them up with that because our goal is to keep these workers, our missionaries. We, we don't use, use the missionary word very often it's a, because it's a dirty it's, word around it's here. Illegal. <laughs> it's illegal in a lot of the countries these people are in. We want to help them to stay on location and be fruitful and effective where they're at. That's what we get to do. That's great. So uh, something I would say catastrophic, I'm not sure if you use that word, but it seems to fit, uh, happened to you along the way in your 
serving Jesus. Why don't you unpack that a little bit because yeah. it sort of frames the book a little bit. Sure, it does, yeah. A uh, little over 10 years ago, I was in Cambodia and I contracted dengue fever. Dengue is a, 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 a mosquito-borne virus, kind of like malaria and such. It's a tropical fever. My symptoms kicked in after I came back to the States and I had a lovely stay at a local hospital in Colorado Springs. They said they had thought maybe there was three cases of dengue in the hospital's history. So I just kept, kept me going there for a couple for a week, came home, did well, fully recovered. About two years later, Beth and I were back in Cambodia. So let me stop there. Why would you go back to Cambodia when you got dengue fever? What were you thinking? I think you've already asked me that question. Um, what am I thinking? Well, there's sheep in that place. And Cambodia is, um, Cambodia is one of those significantly unreached, spiritually dark places in the world. And it wouldn't, why, would, why would Beth and I say, hey, good job you're in Cambodia. Mm, I don't like it there. I'm not going to come see you. So it's I hope, dangerous. Hope, I hope you can hang tough. Now, we wanted to go back. Uh, we need not fear. So we went back, and um, I got something again. I don't know what I got. I just got something. I, I came back home, and I started a stomach stuff, but uh, Beth took me to an urgent care on one Friday evening, and while I was there, they had me hooked up to an EKG and such, and something happened. I had an episode. They thought I was having a cardiac arrest. I wasn't. And that, plum, pummel, that, that plummeted me into a year of, of medical, emotional, and spiritual confusion. I was seeing some of the best doctors in the state of Colorado where we live, infectious disease doctors, neurologists, cardiologists, ophthalmologists, all kinds of ologists, because I was experiencing symptoms in all those systems in my body, and I was getting no answers. I was told I didn't have ALS and MS and some of this nasty stuff. I was grateful for that, but nobody had an answer for me. While this was going on concurrently, I was beginning to experience a significant amount of fear and anxiety that I had never known in my life. Also, as I describe it, is um, it just felt like the Lord took off someplace. As I describe it, I was, I was just going down the road of life with the Lord. He pulled the car over, asked me to get out, and, and he just disappeared into the horizon. That's the way it felt. That's the way it felt. He didn't, but that's what I was experiencing. Right. And so I would sit in my chair in the morning and prayer, pray with him, and there was just nothing. It was such a dark, confusing time. And I, very early in the stage, I said, very angrily, I said, Lord, is this what I get? I go to tough places, and this is what I get. And you know what he said? He didn't say a thing to me. For about six months, I don't think I was ready to hear what he was going to say to me. I eventually ended up at Mayo Clinic in Minnesota, and uh, I had a brilliant neurologist there. He was actually a man from, from Delhi, India. He was Indian. And he said his suspicion was is that I had contracted a virus and it had made its way into my nervous system because of the proximity to dengue fever. My autoimmune system didn't defend itself well, and I now have a compromised autoimmune system and likely something in the vicinity of chronic fatigue syndrome. So you, still, you still battle uh, that? Yes, I live with those symptoms every day. They, many of them have moderated. But as I've titled the book, this is my uninvited companion. I didn't sign up for this that I knew of. And yet, as I'm going to share a little bit later on as we go through 2 Corinthians 1, it has become a gift in my life, which I am, without over-spiritualizing, grateful. Yeah, so uh, out of this experience and the experience God has brought you through over the last decade, you write The Uninvited Companion. Um, and one of the things you say right at the outset is that Americans are radically committed Get this, that, that's us, by the way. I don't know if you've missed that. <laughs> Americans are radically committed to avoiding, fixing, or otherwise numbing ourselves of pain. And then you said something that kind of jumped off the page of me. You said, and the church subtly facilitates this mindset. Mm -hmm. 
Can you kind of unpack that a little bit and, and share with us what yeah, you meant absolutely. when you said that? Yeah, I, this is a human heart condition. It's not just an American thing. I was just trying to be sensitive to my non-American colleagues out there in the world. But oh, that I, makes I, us I've feel seen a lot better. The, yeah, it makes us a lot, feel a lot better, doesn't it? <laughs> but I've seen this in Central Asia. I've seen it in China. I've seen it. And it's a heart condition. We don't like tension. We don't like unresolved problems in our life. So I want this concept of paradox. What is a paradox? A paradox are two existing realities that we think ought not coexist. So, for example, we have a loving, almighty, powerful God. Do we not? We You're do. saying of his gratefulness. Has anybody in this room had a difficult time in their, seat, in their life? Yeah. Well, how can these things coexist? And so we go to weird places in our mind. We think, well, maybe he, does, he loves the rest of the world, but he doesn't love me. Because he's not doing anything. Or maybe he isn't quite so powerful. Or, or, or maybe there's sin in my life. Or I don't have enough faith. Or something right doesn't seem right. And so we don't like these unresolved tensions. And ours is a culture that doesn't like unresolved questions, uh, tensions. We go to movies. We like resolutions. The bad guys get their stuff. The, the, the guy and the gal get each other. Everything's solved. That's why I hate What After. About Bob. There's no resolution in that movie. <laughs> yeah, don't exactly. ever watch that movie. It's a terrible movie. <laughs> exactly. So we don't like tension. So we subtly, unknowingly, a lot of times, seek to resolve the tension in our life. We do that all kinds of creative ways. We, we, we work harder. We, we, um, we, sometimes we just overeat. We, we get angry. We kick the dog, slam the door. We do all kinds of creative things to try to numb that. And when do you ever see a commercial that says, you know what, people? Sometimes life's tough. You just need to endure in the name of Jesus. We don't see that TV commercial. Say, no, you need a better retirement plan. You need to go to Hawaii. You need a better car. And then you'll be happy. We don't like the unresolved tensions. Sure. And so unknowingly, sometimes we seek to solve our own problems in our own ways, and they oftentimes create more problems. So what you're talking about is a biblical theology of suffering, that we need to have a yes. biblical understanding of suffering. Um, why do you think that's important? Or a different way of asking the question is, what are, what's at risk if we don't have a biblical theology of suffering? Yeah, this, this is actually a relational dynamic. So we just read the Second Corinthians 1 passage. The two themes in this passage are comfort and affliction. And Paul holds them in tension. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God of all comforts. And then he talks about these afflictions, and these afflictions, and these afflictions are coming up. And then verses 8 and 9, he says, he talks about this affliction that he and his teammates experienced in Asia. And, and he had this dynamic, this reality of a God who raises from the dead, and yet they found themselves in this difficult situation. Now, Paul, in this case, was delivered. He talks about this deliverance he experienced. You go to the end of 2 Corinthians, and he talks about this dynamic experience, this thorn in the flesh. Right. And God apparently never delivered from that because he says, three times I pleaded with you and three times the Lord said, no, no, no. So apparently there are times that even apostles have their prayers not answered. And so a theology of suffering basically just helps us to have a biblical perspective on these tensions that we experience in our lives. When, when, when we cry out to the Lord for help and he doesn't seem to solve the problem, what is he up to? What is he inviting us to? What is a Christ-like response to these tensions? Yeah, so part of what comes out loud and clear is if we don't understand what we're talking about this morning, uh, sometimes our tendency is to reject God, right? Sometimes our tendency is to say, well, I went through this hardship. God must not be. And, so, and we see that all the time. I don't think I've ever done a funeral where I didn't talk to people about when we walk through this kind of grief, we either move towards God or we move away from God. 
And I think, I think it's worth saying, like, and I asked this last night, but how many of you have gone through a difficult season? How many of you would say you've suffered through something? Right. We, we, don't get a, we don't get out of it. So the, we, we just don't get to escape it in a fallen world. So the question is, can we go through that and move towards God? Can we have a theology that allows us to know that God might be up to something that we're not aware of? And that's what we're trying to unpack today. So uh, one of the things that you uh, talk about in the book, which I love, is you talk about the fact that we really, as, as followers of Jesus, we really can't mature apart from suffering. And you had an experience with your spiritual director where he said, I've never seen a conversion apart from suffering. And if you think about even what uh, we see in 2 Corinthians, Paul actually says this had to happen, right? So that I could learn something. And in this case, he had to learn that, that God had him and that he shouldn't be afraid of death, I think was the spiritual lesson. So, so when you hear those words, I've never seen a conversion apart from suffering. Can you unpack that a little bit and talk mm-hmm. about that for us? Yeah, absolutely. Um, by the word conversion, he wasn't saying that as he was conversing with me as coming to Christ, as we would say from a non-believer to a believer, but he was talking in terms of a significant shift in our understanding, our journey with God, this type of thing. We need a lot to, to, to mature as human beings. We need grace and mercy for forgiveness. We need revelation. We need truth. We need community. Apparently, we need time. Um, I'm still growing up uh, in my 50s, and I'm, I'm not fully done, hopefully. Hopefully, it isn't as good as it gets. We need lots to grow and mature as human beings. We also need suffering. That's why guys like Paul and James would say uh, we rejoice in our sufferings or Consider it all joy when we experience different kinds of trials, James says in James chapter 1. These guys didn't like the hardship any more than we like them. But they had come to learn that God was up to something significant in their life. And one of the primary ways they were going to learn that was through hardship. We don't need endurance when life's going well. We enjoy that. When life's going tough, he invites his sons and daughters to be responsive to him drawing near to us, drawing near to him and walking well with him, enduring with him through this season of difficulty. There are times that he will heal, he will deliver, he will provide, and there's times that he won't. So that, attention. so that leads me to the, the next question I have. So does God mm. still heal? Absolutely he does. Thank God, hey? amen. Yeah. Well, if, if God still heals, and, and we believe that, and we, we invite you every Sunday to come down, we invite you to call on the elders to be uh, prayed for. We have a ministry team here that uh, prays for uh, both your physical and spiritual afflictions, and we believe, and we've seen over the last several months, some pretty amazing uh, movements of God. So how do we mm-hmm. learn to approach God with faith and not hold God hostage to what we're asking, if that makes sense. Or yeah. how do we, uh, well what, what, is it, what, is the, what is the dynamic here that we need? Yes, the Lord's ways are not our ways. He has a wisdom that I don't understand. And that was one of the realities that I, ha- I, I was invited to submit to, is that he has a wisdom for my life that I, I just, I will never fully understand. So my wife, Beth, severely broke her ankle and her foot in Hong Kong. She went through about a year plus of therapy and care. And the doctor said, for some reason, this is not healing. Well, one day at a worship service, the Lord healed her instantly. She's never had a problem with that since. Well, my wife now has been living with chronic pain. (laughs) Amen. Now, 30 years later, my wife has been living with some chronic physical pain, and the Lord hasn't healed her this time. So what's up with that? Well, there were lessons. There was something about God's sovereignty and providence that he wanted Beth to learn 
in her 20s. And healing her instantly was one of the ways for her to come to know of the love, the presence, the faithfulness in her life <coughs> God in that journey, in, her, in that chapter of her life. This chapter of her life, the Lord is inviting her to something else, inviting both Beth and I to something else. This is the context, my physical discomfort, is the context in which he is inviting me to journey with him, as well as the context in which he wants to me to minister to other people and their difficulties. Do I ask him to heal me? You better believe it. I'd love it if he would take this away. I'm, I'm weary of this. I have been anointed with oil and prayed over by many groups of very godly, faithful people. And apparently the Lord's response to those prayers has been similar to Paul. Not for now. No. But it doesn't mean he can't. And but it doesn't mean he doesn't love me. Yes, he has provided for Beth and I again and again and again. And so we still hop in those planes and go to crazy places and do what he asks us to do. And he is good. He is good. So one of the things you say in the book is that we get ourselves in trouble when we ask the question, why? Mm, What's the yeah. better question? Yeah, why, if, why is a normal human response? We, it's a, it just rolls off our lips. Why, Lord? What did I do wrong? What, what happened? What, what, where'd you go? Jesus on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The, the word why rolled off of his lips. It's such a human response. However, when we get stuck there, oftentimes we find that our why questions will not be answered. My, whys have not, my why questions have not been answered. And if I stay there, I can get stuck in a, in a place of fear and doubt. Well, there may be something wrong with me or with my God, and it, it, it paralyzes me. I'm after some explanation for what I'm experiencing. The Lord, I think, believe, I, I, scripturally, the Lord's offering us more than just a, 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 a cognitive explanation of what I'm experiencing. He's offering himself to us. And so he's in, I, I, my sense is a wiser question is how. How would you like for me to walk with you and with other in my community in the context that I find myself as much as I don't like it? And so I find the how question invites me into relationship. The why, the why question can cause me to experience a little bit of paralysis. I think it invites us into relationship, but don't you think it also invites us into um, a deeper learning? So, so it seems like one of the questions is how should I respond? And I think one of the questions often is, what do you want me to learn? What do you want me to see? What are you yeah. trying to show me about your character? Yeah. Who are you? So there's a, there's a learning sort of component oh, to it, which is, which is very much a part of the second Corinthians, right? This had to happen so that we would learn that he is the God of the living, the God who raises the dead. Uh, one of the powerful statements you make in the book, and it's full of uh, just some great tips, I would highly encourage it for everyone, is you say, and I'm pretty sure we have this one on the slide, suffering never has the final say, mm. God does. Yeah, that's right. Powerful. Unpack yeah. that for us Yeah, he bit. does. Um, as I said, we, do, we can't know what his purposes are for in our lives. Well, we can to a certain degree, but a lot of times... He had, as we said earlier, his ways are greater than our ways. His wisdom is greater than our wisdom. Um, I just lost my train of thought again. Suffering has the, doesn't have the final say. Yes, God suffering has. does not have the final say. That's right. So uh, I live with physical malady in my life, but yet God is using that to heal me. He's healing me emotionally. He's healing me spiritually. He's, frankly, I'm, I am better equipped as a caregiver of other people because of this adversity in my life that has been removed than I was before I had the adversity. I have a greater level of com compassion, understanding. I, I, I have experienced fear. I've experienced doctors saying, not sure. I've experienced people laying hands on praying over me, and apparently the answer is no, or at least not for now. And God is still good. Amen. My circumstances don't define God. God defines my circumstances. That's great. 
So Paul, as you read 2 Corinthians, he talks about all the times he was shipwrecked and he was, yeah. um, had stones thrown at him to the point he was almost died. He experienced so many hardships, but he says, I experienced those things in Christ. Christ defines his experiences, not the people who are doing things to him. For sure. And so that's my thought behind that. You give some practical advice. I'm on the middle of page three, by the way. You give some practical advice um, on how to respond to suffering. Mm. Um, you want to talk a little bit about that? Just there's kind of um, yeah. four things that we commonly will say to ourselves. You remember what I've said to you multiple times? Like no one talks to you more than you, so you better pay attention to what you're saying to <laughs> That's yourself. right. Right? <laughs> pay attention to what you're saying to yourself. And so we go through a difficult season. It's a good season to say, what's my inner dialogue? Mm-hmm. And there's some inner dialogue that can get you in a lot of trouble. So yeah. I want to unpack some of that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, sometimes the voice in my head is not the spirit, and sometimes it is. So how do I discern? Um, one time, some of the things we say is, I should be able to handle this. This isn't that tough. I just, I just, I'm going to try harder, work harder. Um, that can get us a lot of t- t- difficulty. And the Lord invites us to endure, but not endure in self-sufficiency. Right. Like, I'm just going to try harder, buck up, and get my way through this. Which is very much what the second Corinthians passage is saying. Exactly. Right? I had yeah. to go through this, so I learned not to depend on myself, exactly. but on the God who raises from the dead. So right. it's not about trying harder. No, so it's not try about hard, trying harder. Um, all I have to do is... And so we set up this barter and trade economy in our mind. Well, if I confess this sin or I go say sorry to Joe or I go do this or do this, then maybe God will do what I need for him to do. But again, uh-huh. God doesn't function in a barter trade economy. It, it's all gift. It's all grace. And, and I'm dependent upon him. Um, it's not as bad as so-and-so. She has breast cancer. She might die. My situation isn't that bad. So one of the ways we minimize our hurts is by comparing ourselves to other people. Well, they have it worse than us. Hurt hurts. I mean, hardships are hardships. The Lord in the scripture never minimizes the human experiences. He always honors it. And he invites us to honor. So if somebody comes to me and says, you know, I'm really struggling with such and such. So, oh, you think you got it bad. You should hear about my stuff. <laughs> <laughs> That's not very caring, is it? He said, I'm so sorry to hear that. Right. How, 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 then the opportunity is, how can the God of all comfort, who's comforted me, want to comfort my brother and my sisters in front of me with their hardship? Right. Um, top of page four, it says, what are some practical steps um, yeah. that you can take when you're facing grief? So I think we've established something. We're all going to go through seasons. Someone close to us is going to die, right? Someone, uh, you know, I, I just think, again, just thinking about the stories that are in this room. We have, you know, feelings of betrayal. We have children that have gone astray. We have bad diagnoses. We have job loss. Um, we're all, we all bump into something along the way. Right, and so when that season of time comes, what are some practical steps? What are some? Uh, where do you send people, for lack of a better word? What's the? What do we yeah. do? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, well, first of all, all, the stuff we learn in kindergarten is really smart. You know, we should take naps, go out to play. I like eat, the nap thing. Veggies. Yeah, take good care of ourselves. You know, do, we we don't do that very well. We just go 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 harder harder harder. Um, spiritually. Uh, we need one another. Uh, one of the things that the enemy would have us do is be isolated. Is I, I, there's something wrong with me and I'm embarrassed to be with my friends or my family or my, my spiritual family because I don't want to show up with all my messes. Well, we're messy people. We're all a bunch of messes. And so we, are, we, we come together in the name of Jesus and we minister to one another. We pray for over one another. So we so need community. Let's stay there for just a second. So he's talking about community. We have such a high value of community here. Um, I'm telling you, when you go through a difficult season, you will find yourself wanting to isolate yourself. 
And that is Satan's desire to just get you stuck in a place where he can't get you out. And sometimes, I'm just, let me just challenge you, sometimes we even allow people to isolate because we don't know what to do, right? So somebody's going through a difficult season, we pull back and we don't move towards them. And we need to let go of that fear and just, you don't have to do anything. You have to be. That's just kind of the Job story. His friends were best just to be there, and they would have been good just to shut up the whole time and not decide to come up with some platitude that would help him out. So the idea here is that, and I just, I just want you to hear, when you experience difficulties, you will sometimes have a tendency to isolate yourself, and that is Satan's desire to, to get you alone, to get you stuck in a place. So you need to invite other people in. You need to, to be a part of a community even before. I say this all the time. I've been uh, in a group. Scott was a part of it when he lived here in town, uh, the same group of guys, and I say to him all the time, it's not that I need you every Friday. It's that I'm with you every Friday so that when I need you, I know where you are. I know who you are, and I know that you're my community of guys that I can call on. So you don't know when it's going to come. So... Build community now so that when you're going through it, there are people that can walk through it with you. And then there was one more that you have on there. Yeah, I just, I want to, that's well said, Doug. And I, I just add also is we can't be in this room here this morning and people will offer to pray for us, but we're embarrassed to say that part of our story that sure. we don't want to say. And so we can be here and still be isolated. And so sure. again, um, I, I'm a broken human being and I'm desperate for other people and my opportunities to say, hey, I'm struggling with such and such. Will you pray, for, pray with me? What counsel do you have for me? So that, yeah, the isolation thing can be significant. This is an opportunity to be in the Word. Again, um, these are, when I find myself in hard times, it's not necessarily punishment. Now, sometimes I do stupid stuff and I have consequence. But when I experience difficult times, it's not punishment, it's opportunity. Paul saw his difficulty in 2 Corinthians as an opportunity to grow in his relationship it's, with it's God. It's in some ways like an invitation. It, it's absolutely an invitation. Huh. Yes, I have experienced Now that's a paradox invitation. shift. Think it about is. that for a minute. I've, I'm fearful that I've done something wrong, and Paul's sometimes can cause me to pull back when actually Jesus is saying, no, I'm moving towards you, come toward, respond, come towards me, seek me, respond to my movement. And so the word of God constantly reorients me. The Psalms. The books that you've been studying, Colossians, other passages are very reorienting to me. Sometimes I look at the Word of God and if I just, I don't know what to do with this. Again, community is key, being in small groups together, having wise counsel in our lives. But the Word of God, praying, seeking one another is so important during these seasons. So just so you got those, going through a difficult season, the Word of God, lean into the Scriptures, make sure you're in community, don't isolate yourself. And the first one he said, which I love, comes out in the book, is make sure you play. Like, find a time to recess is what he calls it. So if you're a fly fisherman, go fly fish. If you're a jogger, go for a jog. Whatever that thing is that helps to... So I just love that, that piece of it. Um, we don't have a lot of time left, but let me just ask a couple more questions. One of the things you write in the book uh, that I think is a powerful statement in chapter 10, you say, uh, we often want God for what he can do for us, mm. not for God himself. Unpack that and explain it just a little bit. I think that one's also on the... Board. Yeah, yeah that, this was true in my experience. I, I was desperate for him to take this experience. It, it was confounding to me that I was seeing some of the best medical professionals in the state of Colorado, and I was getting the same response. I, I can, we can tell you're symptomatic. We don't know what's going on in your body. That, that's the darndest thing, I'm telling you. It's, it's so fearful. And, and yet, the Lord is... Um, the Lord is inviting us deeper into communion with him. And so I was begging him to take it away. 
And at some point, actually it was the person Hannah in 1 Samuel that I think I learned this from is she was a childless mother crying out to the Lord for a son. And she came around this corner eventually in her relationship with God where it wasn't what she wanted was the Lord's presence and activity in her life. And, and when, I, when I found myself, this shift in my heart is, Lord, whatever you want, I, I, just, I have to have more of you. The physical ailment didn't go away. But boy, did, I, did something happen in my relationship with him. That's cool. And he was helping me see really what I wanted was resolution of problem, not God. And he was inviting me to be responsive to his, his drawing near to me. So last question, if you go back to the second Corinthians passage, if you want to look at it in verse three, it says, blessed be the God of the father, our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction. Don't miss this. So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. That's the phrase I want you to hear. So that we may be able to comfort those. You coin a phrase, I don't know if it's unique to you, but I've never heard it before, that we become carriers of comfort. Mm. Um, what does that really mean? And what I'd love for you to do is kind of unpack how critical mm-hmm. that is for you and Beth as you minister to people in some of the hardest to reach places of the world. Yeah, our God is not a God who stands a distance and just sprinkle pixie dust, grace dust, mercy dust on our lives. No, he comes to us. We are indwelt with the living God. He, he, he is here. He is amongst us. And so when I experience a difficult time and he draws me closer into his presence, I become a steward now of the reality of the resurrected, ascended Jesus Christ. And that's what people need, that we all need Jesus Christ. And so I can I bring that, whatever metaphor you want to use, the aroma, the, the wisdom, the person of Jesus Christ. And so I become a carrier of the, the comforting God. He has comforted me, what he has taught me and shaped in me that I can now comfort you with. And that is a person. It's not a formula. It's not a magic phrase. It is, it is a God of all comfort. Uh, without getting all fancy in the Greek, it's parakletos. It's the same word that Jesus says, I'm going to give to you the helper, the comforter, the Holy Spirit. He, he, the comforter dwells in us. And that's what other people need. Right. And so, so Beth and I, through the hardships we experience in our lives, we can now sit across the table with another person going through very different experiences of difficulties, and we can literally be in Christ, a carrier of comfort into their lives. And that's the opportunity we all are. We are all carriers of comfort. When we scatter tomorrow into our schools and workplaces and neighborhoods, we are all infectious carriers of the comfort of the living God. That's great. So one of the things I just want to say is a a word of affirmation to both you and Beth is um, it's been an incredible journey to watch you guys walk through this faithfully uh, and um, to see how God has just given you a spirit of joy. Uh, Talking to Beth yesterday, she said that God has given her laughter in the midst of her affliction, and I just think uh, that's the picture, that we can can walk through difficulties and the Lord is with us, right? Mm -hmm. And the Lord wants to do great things and we still need to cry out to God for healing and we see that, that is the Psalms. God, you know, asking the question why, still crying out, but still holding that loosely enough that God can be God and we're not holding God hostage to do what we want God to do. Um, And I just, I think you guys have uh, journeyed well and continue to journey well and I'm super, super privileged to be your friend. Thanks, Doug. Thanks. God is good. God is good. 
Um, so I'm going to uh, give Scott and Beth a little bit of a head start to get back to the kiosk back there, and they're going to be selling uh, the book for $10 each, so you can stop, and uh, they don't have a ton of them, so go back there and buy them all so he doesn't have to jump on a plane with a bunch of books. Um, that would be great. Uh, I want to pray for you. I want to pray for us. And before I do that, I just, uh, I just think it needs to be said. I know this is not an easy subject. I know that this isn't... Uh, you're not going to hear this taught in a lot of churches because it's not feel good, right? But it's the truth. It's reality. We journey through tough stuff, and God wants to be in it with you, right? And we just want to invite you into that uh, as you go through it and to be there for your friends as they go through it. So I'm going to pray for us. I just want to encourage you. Um, as we prayed for you this morning, we just felt strongly that the Lord, the people that were in the room felt strongly that the Lord just wanted to uh, meet some of you and to bring peace into your circumstances and joy into your circumstances. So I just encourage you, just as Scott said, don't be uh, shy about coming down and sharing with one of the prayer people down here. Allow them to pray uh, with you and for you and uh, maybe take that first step of community uh, that we already talked about. So Lord, thank you uh, for what you're doing. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for this place uh, that you've given us where we can just have honest conversations about difficult subjects like suffering, where we can experience you in powerful ways and become carriers of comfort. Help that to be so true of all of us. With the comfort we've received, we comfort others. So help us to receive what you have for us and to uh, offer that to others in a powerful way. I just, um, I'm just really very aware of, of the trauma that exists within this room, and I just pray right now that the Spirit of God would just um, be with my brothers and sisters in a powerful way, that you would just touch our hearts, that you would make it clear to us that you are near to us, that you are near to the brokenhearted, that you desire to bring great comfort Lord, I pray that we would continue to be a church that prays with great faith that you would move in a powerful way and that you continue to do healings in our midst and show people just who you are and through that as well as through taking us through the difficult seasons. We ask all of this in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Bless you. Thank you for being here. Prayer people, if you want to come on down and receive people, that would be great. God, you are faithful.